Welcome. My name's Gary Cole. You're listening to The Football Coaching Life, a podcast brought to you by Football Coaches Australia and Making Media, the podcast professionals. Today's guest is Zelko Kalatz, uh, an old mate, Spider, the big arachnid that is commonly known on Shim Spider and so much more, where he co-hosts a, a podcast himself now, is currently based in, in Croatia. Let, let's do a quick background. Spider played 54 games for the Socceroos across um, around about 14 years, I think. Had an amazing football career that started with Sydney United, 58, as they're now called. Um, and went through the, the NSL, obviously went overseas initially to Leicester, um, came back to Australia, almost to Wolves Spider. We might touch on that and, and that because that fell through because of a work permit. Um, back to Sydney United and then uh, back overseas, an amazing um, seven years with Rhoda um, and then um, uh, Perugia uh, before moving off to AC Milan and, and then coming back to Australia. Your coaching journey began um, at Sydney FC and, and really that's what this show is about. So we'll talk about that. So anyway, long introduction. Welcome, Zelko Kalatz. Thanks, Coley, mate. Good to be here. <laughs> nice to see you, mate. So bring everyone up to speed. W where are you? Um, I start with saying Strava. I looked that up. I believe you're drinking plenty of coffee and rakia with um, with the big bomber, Mark Viduka. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm in Croatia now, mate. It's uh, springs in the air and uh, yeah, big dukes. <laughs> Big Dukes uh, likes to kick off early. If you go there for a coffee at about 12 o'clock, Dukes is on the rakia already. He goes, come on, let's have one. I feel a bit of bacteria in the stomach. We better, we better wash it away. Uh, that's good. And, and, and Zelko, we're going to get into the, the, the coaching journey, but you had a, a, an amazing time. One of the things that in doing the research for this, and it never struck me before. Uh, first today, we got our first goalkeeping coach on the show after uh, I think we're up to episode number t 10, or it's certainly the 10th recording. So welcome along, and, and it's going to be great because I, I know you're going to give us insights that us strikers couldn't possibly, um, couldn't ever possibly have. Um, I, I wanted to start with, it dawned on me that through your journey as a goalkeeper, you, you're always in competition with someone. At Sydney United, that started with Tony Franken, and and then, then there was Bozza, uh, and and then there was Schwartzer with the Socceroos, um, and then you went to AC Milan, and you, <laughs> you signed for one of the biggest clubs in the world, and lo and behold, they've got the Brazilian national team goalkeeper Dita there. How do you cope with that on a personal level? Of of, you know, for us other players, we might be able to play up front, we might be able to play out wide, we might be able to drop back in the midfield, but how do you deal with that as a goalkeeper? The, the the natural challenge and competition of there only being the one spot. Yeah, I, I actually thrived on it. I, th I thought it was really good for for our careers, really, because the other keeper was obviously a very good goalkeeper as well. So you, you thrive on the challenge to be better than him and to get selected. So every day at training, you train harder and you train better and you give more and you try to improve. And I, I think there's a big lack of two keepers at each club now um, that can really push each other, if that makes sense. And I had that pretty much all the way through my career. Um, maybe at Rota, maybe not so not so much. Uh, but, yeah, pretty much through the whole career, I had a, another really good goalkeeper. Yeah. And, and it, it's interesting you talk about modern, uh, maybe today they don't necessarily have two number ones that have to fight over that position. Do you think... Um, the way society is going and uh, the, this 
uh, I'm going to call it a lack of resilience or a whole bunch of young people that don't necessarily aren't resilient or haven't developed it well. Do you think young goalkeepers might deal with that the same way that you did? Is it a, a natural part of the goalkeeping pathway? No, I reckon I reckon you're spot on, Coley. I, I think it's a lack of resilience. I think we don't teach our kids to be resilient enough, uh, not just our kids in general, but in sport in general, in, in football in Australia. I, I think we're soft. I really do think we're soft. Uh, if you see that we talk about resilience, we talk about mental strength, which are massive parts of being successful in football. Yeah. Um, you know, you, you see someone doesn't play and as soon as they don't play, they want to leave the club and go somewhere else where they're guaranteed they're going to play. Like, as a coach, no one is going to guarantee you to play. Nobody. You need to perform and you need to fight. Yeah. And that's that's really it. That, that is it, isn't it? It's simple as that at the pointy end of, of any sport and particularly our game. So, all right, enough about your playing career. Let, let, let's get into coaching. So, how did you get into coaching? What was your journey into coaching? Uh, my journey basically started when I retired and I went back to Australia in 2010. And um, I was taking my son down to, to train and I was watching the coach. And, you know, you're spending three, three nights a week down there watching your son train and I'm actually scratching my head and I'm saying, this is woeful. So I sort of went in and I sort of took over. Uh, I sort of took over and started coaching the under nines down at Sydney United, and that was where the bug—that's where the bug become uh, got got better and better. And I, I loved it. To be fair, I live, breathe, eat, you know, football. So yeah. I, I love the game. I love every every aspect about it. So and that was it. I really enjoyed that journey, and then it was just a stepping stone from there. Yeah. And and was it Vitislav Lovica that invited you into Sydney, or how did how did your yes. initial gig at, at Sydney yeah. come about? Yeah, I, I think um, I think Johnny Fylan, Johnny Fylan was at Sydney FC, and then Johnny Fylan left, and a door opened up, and uh, Bimby called me. Yeah. Bimby called me to come and have a meeting with uh, him and Lovica, and uh, that that's how it started, and it was it was brilliant. You know, I, I really enjoyed been in a professional environment again i remember going down to sydney fc i wasn't retired yet and i come down and watch them train and i said wow isn't this a very good setup for an a-league team and uh, i was lucky enough that, that i got my starting starting role there at sydney fc yeah the, the it is it, a fantastic environment was a fantastic environment and i think that was um not everyone had great environments in the early days of the a-league but more and more clubs today do and west sydney wanderers uh, are obviously there and that was one of the places um that you went to spides along the journey before you got that job as you got that job had you gone into the formal side of coach education, the A licenses, B licenses, goalkeeping licenses? How did you, how did your professional journey enable that, um, the administrative side of coaching, if you like? Look, I've got to be honest. Uh, I hated school, Coley. <laughs> uh, so, so when I actually started to do my licenses again, I, I actually really struggled. Yeah. With, with sitting in a classroom and listening to all that stuff. It, it was really like I was back at university or back at high school. And it was, mate, I'll be honest, it was painful. Yeah. It was really, really painful. Um, I had migraines after every day because, look, people say there is a lot of good things out of it, mm. but there's so much rubbish as well that's never used in football. And, you know, for someone who hates 
and I mean hated school. Yeah. Um, it was a real, real struggle for me uh, in the classroom side of the the, the licenses. The, the do you, is it probably fair then to say that the that it, it's become pretty academic coach education? It used to be all very. practicality, and, and it's become a lot more academic. Yeah. Yeah. Very, very academic. Yeah. Uh, I, I, look. Don't get me wrong, there's some good things out of it, but, but I actually think a lot of people don't coach. A lot of good people don't coach and don't go down that path because of our licences, yeah. because of the way that it's, there's not as much uh, licences that are done uh, the practical side of it, of being on the field. Like I would say there's 70 to 80% of it is in the classroom. Yeah. And when you don't like the classroom and you don't like computers and you don't like PowerPoint presentations, mate, it, it's a struggle. Yeah. And anyone who anyone who's academically good on computers and that, that they'd love it. Yeah. They they you know, they'd think they're Mourinho's. <laughs> I think some of that, a fair bit of that is governed by, you know, Asian Football Confederation and and FIFA as well. But no doubt um, individual countries seem to have some level of control and right now here in Australia um, Trevor Francis, National TD and, and Smudger who I spoke to on the way in today who's driving back to Canberra from a, a B licence uh, he, he, he was involved in in Sydney I think that that's a good, good one of the good things that's going to come out of the, the changes that the practical side of coaching is going to be the importance of that is going to be way up there again mm. Yeah, I think I think that'll be I think that'll be good, and I think we'll get a lot of good people that'll come back. Uh, look, I don't know how many people you've spoken to about a Coley. It, it was something that a lot of people struggled, and I know people with a lot of knowledge that would have been very good coaches didn't take that path because it was just too difficult. Yeah. At certain ages, you just don't want to go back into a classroom. Yeah. No, I, I think that's fair enough. Spides, did you do all your coach edu- uh, licensing here? Did you do any of it in Europe? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I done it. I done it all here. Um, I done it all in Australia and far out, man. I, I done more. I done more licenses. I think I done more more years doing my licenses to get be a coach. And the one thing, the only thing that I know, um, than what I did my all years in uh, in high school and that colleague. So it's a long it's a long journey, mate. It was very painful. <laughs> I've got to be honest with you. It was very painful. So so you were you were a bit like me uh, in the fact that I finished playing and and sort of rolled into coaching. For me, I, I went up to the AIS to be Ronnie's assistant and ended up um, getting a gig as Frank Arrock's uh, assistant with the Socceroos for a, for a little while, which was amazing. You know which is essentially the way your journey's gone. You finish playing and then and then you end up at Sydney FC. Very different from some of the other coaches, people like Stadge that don't necessarily have an elite playing career and, and have to go and build their their coaching journey. So how was, the, how was the transition from being a professional footballer or a short break and then going into being a, a full-time professional coach at Sydney FC? Yeah, that, that, that was a big change. Um, I think... The hardest thing I found at the beginning, uh, like I had a year off Coley before yeah. I finished. I didn't finish my career and go straight into coaching. I actually wanted to work out what I wanted to do for a year. And then I went into coaching a year later, which was probably better because yeah. I think had I gone straight into it, I wouldn't have been ready. Um, we made I made a lot of mistakes in the first year in my mentality uh, where we were doing certain things. And, you know, you, you put in your head, mate, how can't you do this? This is easy. Just do this. Just do that. But then 
you learn as you go on and progress as a coach that it's not about what you could do. It's about how you can get the others to do it. So you have to break break things down, which was something that I learned in the first six months um, very, very quickly, that it wasn't about me being a goalkeeper anymore. It was about getting the others to be good goalkeepers. Yeah. And um, that, that was something that I actually enjoyed, to be fair. And it was funny because I had two older keepers that I worked with and – I think I was lucky that I had two older keepers. I had Rocket and uh, Ivan Nacheski when I first came to Sydney FC. Yeah. And I was probably lucky because they they understood me. I was yeah. older. They were older. They'd been around the traps. So they you could give them a bollockson. And yeah. then after the bollockson, you could you know put your arm around them and have a laugh. And, and I think that was, that was very helpful to my coaching career. Had I had a young goalkeeper probably at the beginning, um, I think it would have been very difficult. Do you think your credibility as a goalkeeper has a significance in in that sort of environment, particularly early on? Um, yeah, look, uh, we all know what we think about goalkeeper coaches, and mate, we're all got a we're all got an opinion, haven't we? No one <laughs> listens to us, but we got an opinion. Um, I, I think I think goalkeepers in general make a big difference to any team, and that's how important a goalkeeper coach is at any club. Yeah. Without a good goalkeeper, you can't win shit. Yeah. So so let's – let's. Uh, this is a don't, – don't have any questions written down about this, but this stuff is a little rabbit hole that's worthwhile exploring. So in, in my coaching journey, um, I think the first time I coached uh, at the AIS, we had goalkeeping coaches. I think Tony Brocky might have been there still then. Um, I went out to coach um, – uh, in the old NSL at Heidelberg and John Kennedy, was, there was a goalkeeper coach. I did a bit of coaching in the MPL. Um, I don't think there were goalkeeping coaches at some of those places. So for me, who knew nothing about goalkeeping, it's like the two goalkeepers, you guys go down there and, and train by yourselves for 45 minutes and we'll give you a call when we're, we're bringing you into the game a- a- until I learned a bit along the way. How, how, do, you, how do you work with um, senior coaches and, and make that work for you? Is it, is it the, some of them just want you to go the, uh, to coach the keepers and then that's it? Do others want to listen to you, your thoughts about how the goalkeeper not only does all the things that goalkeepers do, but interacts with the back four, the way they communicate, the shape and positioning and all this stuff? Where does, h- how do you navigate a pathway through all that as a goalkeeping coach? Look, I, I've been I've been lucky, Coley. To be honest, uh, I've worked with some really good coaches that, mate, they they let you participate in in everything, which is important. And at the end of the day, the manager makes a call. Uh, but someone who's got the balls to listen to all his staff and allow his staff to do their job, mate, becomes a very successful manager because. Everyone who's there and the reason those people are there working underneath him is because they trust him. They trust their staff. Um, mate, if you're prepared, Coley, you never have a problem. Yeah. Uh, like if you want to do your individual, if you want to do your in, individual work with the keepers, you know how long you've got before before they go in with the team. Yeah. And as I said to you, the good coaches, they're only two, three minutes off time and the keepers are called in. Yeah. You know, the ones who like to hear their own voices and shit like that, they, they stuff everything up and make the goalkeepers go from doing a hard workout to going cold again. Yeah. And I, you're laughing, Gaz, because I know you know there's a lot of those shit coaches out there. <laughs> a 
love the sound of their own voice. <laughs> uh, coaches that, that love the sound of their own voice. Yeah, that that, that does ring true. Uh, been there, done that. I've fall, fallen for that one myself. So then can, can I ask, as a player, which coach had the most significance on you when you were playing and why? Look, I'll, again, I'll tell you, Coley, I – you know, this is this is a great podcast because I, I reminisce. And last night I was thinking, what kind of answers you're going to throw at me <laughs> and, and stuff, questions you're going to throw at me today. And I was thinking back at my career, mate. I had as a young goalkeeper, young goalkeeper, I had Ronnie Corey, who was unbelievable in my development, unbelievable. Um, as I got older, uh, I went to a club in Perugia. There was a guy called Graziano Vinti, who's the Italian under twenty-one, Italian under twenty-three coach now. He was. He taught me things that I didn't think I could do, and I and I was already like I was thirty years old, guys. Yeah. So it was like, you know, talking about teaching an old dog new tricks. Well, let me tell you, he taught an old dog new tricks that I thought I couldn't do. Yeah. But I was willing to buy into what he was doing. And then I had uh, at Milan, I had uh, a guy called William Becky who uh, produced Buffon, produced Dida, produced all these <laughs> great goalkeepers. Um, you know, he coached uh, Milan, Juve, Parma, Real Madrid. Like he, he's he's been around, and he was an absolute monster. He killed me every day, like battered me. And all he used to say to me is, "Don't worry, man. Hard work always pays off. Always <laughs> pays off." And he just kill me and kill me and kill me and kill me. And I thought, mate. This old bastard is going to destroy my career, <laughs> and you know what? After three months, man, I was like, "Oh man, I was like Superman." I, I, I actually couldn't believe that my body could take the amount of work that he put through my body. Yeah, and I felt so strong, but I had to believe in what he was doing. So, so what impact then? Because I'm assuming from that, that's really that's physical work. That's just grinding you into the ground physically. Lots of shot stopping, getting up, getting down this way, that way, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Is that is that fair summary? Yeah, but it was all. Um, there was a goal. Huh? There, yeah. there was a light at the end of the tunnel. It wasn't. It wasn't about like belting me just for the sake of belting me. Like I wasn't yeah. diving the full length of the field or stuff like that. There was, there was a purpose in, in getting me strong, powerful, agile, explosive. Yeah. That was that was a big key thing about Italian goalkeepers is they wanted explosivity. Yeah. And that's something that I actually took into my coaching that I wanted that as well. Yeah. I, I wanted to see that. After I seen the way they work and the way you develop as a goalkeeper over there, I thought, wow, this is quality. And, you know, you can really, really make people a lot, lot better by working this way. Yeah, getting them fit fit first. Well, so, I, I thought I was the end product, Coley. Yeah. Like, I got to Milan at 32, so I thought I knew everything. Like, you know, you know when players say to you, yeah, but I, kn- I know my body. Yeah. Man, let me give you the tip. They don't know shit. <laughs> because I actually thought I knew my body. Yeah. I thought I was fit. I'd played my whole career. Mate, I'd always played. I'd trained. I was 32. This old bastard got a hold of me at Milan, and he made me better, but not not better by by five ten percent. Mate, he made me fifty percent better goalkeeper. It was it was scary. Yeah, Spides, with that they the, the, these these men, the coaches that had this impact on you, 
did did they help with your decision making positioning, or did, was that sort of left to the 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 main coach, the manager, or was, was that a part of what the the work that they were doing with you as well? Yeah, look, uh, once once again, uh, lucky enough to play in Holland. I had a very good manager in Holland uh, called Seth Fergus, and I think uh, Stokes ended up playing with him. He went to Genk as well. Um, a very good man, very good man. Uh, spoke to you. Obviously, we all know in Holland that goalkeepers were play, played like a sweeper. So starting positions, yeah. um, starting positions, and playing with your feet and talking. Um, so that that really helped. But you know, in, in Australia, Coley, I don't know if you agree, but football hasn't changed that much. It, it's still the same. Like back in Australia, I used to come out of my box all the time as well. So yeah. we're talking about sweeper keeper and you know, reading the pass. I was doing that back in Australia. Yeah. You know, maybe in England you don't do it as much because it's a different type of league. I think yeah. I think there's leagues that you can do it. Yeah. And there's leagues that you can't do it. Yeah. Um and yeah, that that's it. So I think he was very good, uh Sephagos. And then look, Ancelotti was Milan was a little bit different. Milan uh, Ancelotti was a very cool, calm and collective manager. It was a he was a player's manager, but uh, you got selected to do a job, yeah. and that that's what Milan was about. Yeah. They brought you there that whoever played you had to win, and that that was it. One of the most, I, I think they're the is it the they won the most um, Champions Leagues behind Real Madrid. Am I right there? Yeah, so, second so, behind Real Madrid. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Let, let, let's let, let's keep going on this this coaching part then. Since you've finished playing and you've now been a professional goalkeeping coach, which coach has had the most impact on you as a coach? So, you know, who are the coaches that you've worked with that have, have really helped you evolve um, uh, as a coach and, and brought you in and, and made you feel like you're a really important part of that team? Yeah. Look, I again, I've been very lucky because mate, I think we underestimate the quality of our coaches in Australia. Um, you know, I was lucky enough. I come in to Sydney FC with Levitska, who was very calm, uh, very organised, very defensive-minded manager. Yeah, which probably suits goalkeeper coaches <laughs> because they don't have to make many decisions when a coach is very defensive. Yeah. Um. So, he, so he was fantastic. He was actually, I think, I was very lucky to work under Levitska. Yeah. Um. Because because of his uh, philosophy of football. Yeah. Uh, Frankie Farina taught me so much about man management. Yeah, I, I've, I think he's one of the best. I don't think he gets enough credit for for the person that he is and his man management of players. And I tell you what, Frankie taught me: be honest to players. They might not like it. Yeah, they might not like it. But if you're honest with them, they'll respect you. Yeah. And there's, I think, we've all been players before, and. You cannot stand when a coach lies to you straight in the eyes. Yeah. And a lot of the imposters do that as well. Yeah. Too, too hard to and tell then, the truth. Yeah, well, it's too hard to sit down and have a conversation, a confrontation. Yeah. But I think players respect you more when you're honest with them. Mm. Um, and Frankie taught me that. Like he, he was like, seriously, I had Frankie in the national team. Mate. Half the time I wanted to kill him because he wasn't playing me. But <laughs> you don't actually realize what, a, what actually top guy he is. Yeah. Because he's actually telling you the truth. Yeah. At the time, you don't you don't see it. Again, as a player, yeah, you don't see it. But um, so I, I learned that when I worked with Frankie at Sydney FC, 
I actually said, wow, like I'd known him all those years in the national team, but I actually didn't know him. Yeah. Yeah. Until I worked with him. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Incredible. And then obviously very lucky worked with Arnie. Uh, and mate, Popper, everyone knows. I I think the world of Popper. I think Popper is one of the best managers I've I've ever been with. Yeah. Um, just his entire package. Arnie and Popper let uh, let their goalkeeper coaches do their job, but not not just their goalkeeper coaches. Let their staff do the job. They give them the responsibility. But God help you if you don't do your job properly. <laughs> yeah, they they both like accountability, eh? Yes, and and that's the way it should be. Like if you if you bring in uh, a staff member, like you trust them, don't you? Well, you, you trust them. That that is, you know, a big part of being a manager no, is no. actually to have your staff with you that you can trust. Yeah. If you don't have your staff with you, mate, you're doomed to fail. Yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely agree. So then, change track a little bit. What is coaching? Coaching for me is um, mate, to get the best out of each individual, to make them the best individual person they can be. And that I don't mean by – I think football is the, the best sport in the world because you can actually change the whole character of a person and the meaning of life and, and discipline and responsibility and uh, – Character. I, I think football brings out all of that, and that's what coaching is for me. So coaching the whole athlete, not just not just the footballer. The footballers, obviously. That's correct. Right, yeah, yeah. The, the um, where, where's your thoughts on this? This I, I had this chat with Tanya Oxleby um, a couple of weeks ago. I was dri- driving into the studio, listening to a um, a podcast about business, because coaching can get a bit. Um, we can get a bit snobby about you know my philosophy of how we want to play. We want to have a high intensity brand, attacking attacking style of football, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And on this podcast, I was I was listening to um, people talking about aspiration versus capability, and the You've played in professional teams all over the world. Uh, you've coached with professional teams all over the world. What does that mean to you? Does that does that ring true? Is is soccer a game where I've got a philosophy and I can go and do this no matter what, or is it a matter of I'm a professional coach and we've got to win no matter what? No, I, I think um, football is a, is a game of the quality of your players will determine the way you want to play. You can actually play a certain way, but if you don't have the players to play that way, it's going to be very difficult. Yeah. You need the cattle. And and a coach has to have a philosophy to bring in the cattle the way he wants to play. Yeah. It's as simple as that. I mean, I can go, I want to play like Barcelona, but I don't <laughs> have Messi, Iniesta, Xavi. And I think, I think again, in Australia, we're a little bit delusional. Um, <laughs> With how we want to play and where we think we are in the, in the stage of world football, yeah, um, yeah, we, we need to wake up a little bit. We're not we're not as good as we think we are, and we're miles behind a lot of the Asian countries, let alone Europe. Yeah, I think there's been so much. Obviously, there's been a lot of investment in European, South American football forever, but Asia in the the last ten or fifteen years, in particular, the investment into football player development, coach development, has been quite remarkable. Um, yet we yeah. still we still seem to have this thing in our head about oh we're playing the Asian team so we're going to win comfortably. 
We're delusional, Coley, mate. We are. We're, we're seriously delusional, and it's got a lot to do with people running our game because they're filling rubbish into people's heads, and a lot of people that actually have never been at any level are making comments that you know, the guys that have played at higher levels. Mate, all we have to do is listen to what Ange said. <laughs> mate, Ange told them years ago when we thought it was going to get fixed. But who's Ange? Mate, he's an Aussie. He doesn't know what he's talking about. So we wait we wait for a foreigner to come here and tell us what we have to do yeah. and how we have to and how we have to coach and how we have to produce our kids. And Matt, we go back 10, 15 years, but we don't listen to our own people. Yeah. Ho- hopefully that's changing now. We've got we've got an Aussie T D role and, and, and Ronnie Smith in there working. So they've got a lot of work in front of them, there's no doubt. But uh, no, I couldn't agree more, mate. Back to you. You touched on this a little bit before. How has your coaching changed over your journey so far? Um, It's changed a lot, to be fair. Um, I'm a lot more calmer now than what I I used to be when I first started. I'm a lot more calmer. And look, Coley, at at the end of the day, I go out and get people that suit the way I want them to keep. So I, I don't go out and get goalkeepers that I think I can't change. Um, like you tried to mould them in a, into a certain way. And again, I think height, agility, movement, and you try to break it down yeah. and start start from scratch. Start from scratch and uh, and develop the goalkeeper and let their character come out and be the persona persona they, they have to be. Don't try to change the person. Yeah. Let the person be who he is and work with it. Help them develop and grow. Yep. Yeah. Good on you. Do you do you have a coaching mentor? Do you, do you have you had a, a mentor, someone you look to across the journey, or is it? Is it it's, it's funny because I still call a guy in Italy. I still call yeah. William Becky when I had. Um, I remember in my early days, my early days with a veteran at Sydney FC. There was a couple of things that were bugging me, and I couldn't get veteran to change. And uh, I'd ring him up, and I'd say to him, "I'm having this problem with this goalkeeper," and then he'd say to me. You remember this exercise? You remember? <laughs> I said, yeah, yeah. And then, like these guys, you can fall back on and have this conversation. And you'd always pick up the phone, and you always help me along the way um, yeah. with those kind of things. So, yeah, I, I actually still call him to this day, and he's, he gets pumped when I call him. He loves it. <laughs> he loves it, and I, and I love it because I get to talk Italian for about fifteen minutes. <laughs> That's <laughs> uh, great. It's great. The, the mentoring is a really, really interesting thing. I think at the really pinnacle of sport, particularly around uh, national teams across all sports, um, you know, Eddie Jones, um, uh, I was talking to Ernie Merrick that uh, coaches and no coaches and no coaches. Eddie Jones, who obviously is a well-known uh, rugby coach, coaches England now, you know, he, he currently works with an Australian uh, that used to co- work in AFL that, is his mentor, but he invites them in to watch, to look, to bounce ideas off. Obviously, you're doing that with your staff, but sometimes being able to talk to someone that's walked a mile in those moccasins, in fact, not walked a mile, they've walked hundreds of miles in those moccasins and have got that that wisdom already there is uh, it's just such a powerful thing, as, as you've already said, yeah? Yeah, it is, 100%. 100%. And you can, you can learn off everyone. Uh, you know, sometimes you scratch your head at these these like top level managers, when you hear some of the stuff that they say to you in certain certain moments, you just think, hey, how did he come up with that? And that's just experience. 
You cannot buy experience for certain moments at trainings or in matches. That experience, you must have it to be able to get that. And what people don't understand is that in football, there's 25, 26 different individual characters. It's not one person. It's 23, 24, 25, 26 different individual characters. You're going to be able to deal with all those egos. So it's not as it's, 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 it's a lonely job being a manager, a very lonely job. <laughs> yeah. So having someone that you can that you can trust because they know you've got, you know, they've got your best interest at heart to be able to bounce that off. I, I think is uh, really important for coaches. Very important. Spider, have you ever gone outside of football? Have you ever learned from, obviously, hockey, they give you a weapon, but they paid you up and they put you in goal or water polo. Have you ever learned anything or discussed coaching with coaches from outside of football? Yeah, look, uh, I've, I've spoken to Trent Robinson from the Roosters in Rugby League yeah. um, when I was at Sydney FC, again, my time at Sydney FC. And, again, he was fan- he was such a fantastic guy to talk to. Uh, in relation to mate, belted the living daylights out of the players in pre-season like belted them and it was like memories of what they used to do to us in Europe Yeah, and I'd say to and you know what it was like Coley in Australia we're all about our oh, loads you can't work them too hard you can't do this and you can't do that blah 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 and uh, he was flogging them and I said far out man you, you're working them hard he said, mate, I need to know who I can trust when the season starts, who I can count on. Yeah. And that's that was the mentality in Europe. Yeah. And the other one I don't know very, very well. Um, I, actually, I don't know him at all, but I know Muskie had a lot to do with him, uh, was Bellamy at the Storm. Yeah, he's remarkable. Mate, I, I loved him. I didn't even know the bloke, and I actually loved him because he was ruthless with his players. Mm. He was ruthless with them, but to get results – but they all loved him. Yeah, they all loved him, um, and I think that's that's that thing where a lot of people don't understand where what's being ruthless and what's uh, what's Beltman for the sake of Beltman. He was he was being ruthless to get results, and as a manager, I don't coach just to coach. I coach to win. Yeah, I want to win, and the top managers that's what they do. Yeah, they win. Have have to if you want to keep your job. Yeah. Yeah, that's true as well. But a lot of people, a lot of people uh, keep their job even if they keep losing. <laughs> One of the things um, I was fortunate to work at Melbourne Victory alongside the Storm and, and got to see um, Craig and talk to him and, and watch what they did. I was in awe. I went into the gym one day um, just to work out one lunchtime and, and the Storm players came in. And they worked out in the gym like I'd never seen anyone work out in a gym before mm. in my life. The weights that they moved. The remarkable thing, though, was the coaches didn't say a thing. The players were in groups of three or four, and the players actually drove one another on. Now, that, that, that culture had started, obviously, at the top with Craig, but the players had taken all that on board. And, and in that environment at Melbourne Storm, um, you know, that, that work ethic um, was just absolutely remarkable. The best I've ever seen in any organisation. I was just blown away. Mm, mm. I, I, I said, I don't know the guy, but for him to be every year, first, second, in a grand final, get knocked out in a semi-final, it's very difficult to back up success. Yeah. 
very, very that, – that's the hardest thing ever to do is to back up success. Um, and he does it year in, year out. Changes. He's got he's got his leadership group that drive drive the team. But again, that starts from him. Yeah, yeah. You're listening to the Football Coaching Life, a podcast brought to you by Football Coaches Australia and Making Media the Podcast Professionals. We're listening here today with Zelko Kalats, goalkeeping coach extraordinaire, soccer with 54 caps, and now um, coaching in Croatia. Just about to start his academy. Before I ask you the next question, Spod, give us a, an update where, where you're at uh, in your life um, in Croatia nowadays. Yeah, well, uh, I'm not, I'm not uh, anywhere in my life, guys. I'm just in Croatia, <laughs> springs in the air. And, uh, <laughs> you know, obviously this opportunity arose after the debacle in Greece. Um, and, and here I am. And then all of a sudden I, I did a workshop, actually, yeah. in, here at, uh, in Croatia. And from that, uh, this opportunity to do an academy now for, for six weeks um, has arose here in Zagreb. So, so I'm actually looking forward looking forward to that and looking forward to the, the young talent here in Croatia to yeah. see what they've got. So why do you do it? Why, why do you coach? But I love it, guys. Mate, to, to be honest, mate, as I said before, I live, breathe, eat, sleep football. That's, that's all I do. Uh, I don't follow other codes. Um, I, I love football. Yeah, that's why I do it. I, I I want everyone that I work with. I always have a goal that I want them to be the best that they can be. Yeah. Now, if that means I've got to bollocks them to get the best out of them, does that mean I have to sometimes be hard on them to get the best out of them? Does that mean sometimes I've got to put my arm around them to get the best out of them? Man, that's my job to get the best out of them so they can be the best they can be. Yeah. Wherever that leads them, it leads them. Good on you. I love that. Okay, let's change tack a little bit. You mentioned before the debacle in Greece at Xanthi. Um, that, that was remar- absolutely remarkable. I'm, I still shake my head. When Disgrace- disgraceful is the word. Yeah. Disgraceful. Well, Not well, remarkable, disgraceful. It is disgraceful. Uh, um, you've been through that before at uh, Karabukspor as well um, with Tony a few years ago. You've had your ups and downs as a player. As a coach, how important is it to be resilient and develop your resilience? Oh, mate, you got to have thick skin, don't you? <laughs> very, very, very thick skin. Especially, look, guys, mate, with with modern society, you got to be even. You got to have uh, armor on the outside because, mate, social media is poison. Yeah, and the trolls may just attack you from every corner. And if you if you worry about it, and if you look into it. And I think us as older older guys, coaches, we sort of just get on with it. And as you'll know, being a coach, you don't have a lot of time to look at social media anyway. Absolutely. But a lot of these people have families, huh? Mm. And have kids that it affects them. Yeah. So it's it's actually really really scary uh, society the way it is and the way people hide behind the keyboard. But yeah, you have to be thick skinned and resilient and mentally strong, yeah. mentally very strong. And Spides, how do you how do you deal with it professionally? So you you give up, you know, well paying job here in Australia to to travel across to Turkey and Greece. You sign a contract, hopefully. Um, you know, how how does that finish up? Do you is it FIFA and your lawyer that 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 help you to the next step through that? 
Ah, uh, look, Turkey. We we still didn't get our money, so I don't know. I don't think we'll get we'll get our money there anyway. Um, in Greece, everything was done uh, accordingly, the way it should have when that when they when they released us. I think Greece was a different situation. Greece was. I'd played three three months, four months in Greece, so I actually yeah. knew what was coming. But um, the whole thing in Greece was the adventure was was the project that we that we were that we were promised. Yeah. And obviously I was a head coach at the time for Sydney United. Yeah, so I actually left. I, I was taking another path <laughs> and then this opportunity. I, I want to then talk this to you opportunity. about that in a minute. Uh, mate, it's, it's incredible, Coley. In the middle of a pandemic, we leave really good jobs in Australia to go and, and support this club and, and the owners and to help achieve what they wanted, really, yeah. what they wanted. And we didn't get the opportunity because of sabotage. Simple as that. Sabotage. They sabotaged us, um, and I don't think they realised how lucky they were to have a manager like Popper there. Yeah. Um, you know, mate, we all know what Popper's achieved as as a manager to have him leading the club, and yeah, to to, to get rid of him like that, mate, it was sabotage. Mate, yeah. as clear as that. They wanted him out because they couldn't handle them not making decisions. Simple. Amazing. So, how do you deal with that? And and if that. If you don't want to go there, that, that's fine, mate. But I, mate, I, I'm, I was there to support Popper. Yeah, I was there to support Popper and help help him achieve what what he wanted to achieve. That that was my job as a goalkeeper coach. Yeah, is to support the manager. That's all I'm there to do: support the manager, work the goalkeepers, make sure that they save the ball and keep the ball out of the back of the net. That's that was it. And you know, the manager's role is a lot more complicated than a goalkeeper coach's role. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's uh, let's let's take you up on that then. Let, let's roll into your, I think, only stint as a head coach at Sydney United. You built a squad, um, five or six games, and and in a shortened COVID season, they went on and won the championship. I think with Anthony Crea uh, in charge. Yeah, yeah, my assistant Crea, <laughs> the gecko, the gecko was there. Look, that that was that was a that was an adventure. Um, yeah, I. My last stint in the A-League, I, I started to get really, really frustrated. Um, and I thought, you know what, I, I might as well go be a head coach. If this is what head coaching looks like, yeah, uh, I'm going to go give this a go. And to be fair, the president of Sydney United was actually like terrorising me, saying, <laughs> you know, you haven't got a job, mate, come and help us, come and help us. You haven't got a job, come and help us, come and help us. And then uh, that's that's how it started. Without his persistency, I probably wouldn't go down that path. And um, as you said, we had uh, we built a team and uh, we went on and won the championship. And then the, you know, I was really looking forward. I actually really enjoyed it. And again, I was lucky because I had good people around me. You know, like I had Anthony Crea around me, who was made very professional in what he does. Yeah. So I didn't have to worry about the conditioning side of things. And I didn't have to worry about an assistant coach because his his knowledge in football was was huge. Yeah. And then I had a really good football analysis uh, Yusuf who who helped us, and you know president supported us from from day one, which was which was the key to any manager's success to get the backing of the board, and uh, he supported us, and the players bought into the hard work that. That, that we did, and we all know how hard it is in State League to get these boys to train at 100% every day. Absolutely. And, 
And they bought in. We put down the guidelines. We gave them rules and we said, this is what we expect. And you know what? The boys were fantastic, and we went on and won the championship, which was which was fantastic for Sydney United. Absolutely, yeah, no. So, so something you'd look to do again? I w- uh, I would do that if uh, if I was to come back to Australia. Yeah, and, and I wasn't in a position with the the one thing that I wouldn't do again, guys, is I wouldn't go work outside in uh, in a group of people that I don't know. Yeah. In in football at like the professional environment, I would only work with people that I trust that I, that I can support that I know won't stab me in the back because man I can't take any more of that shit at at my age. Uh, I want honesty and I want people that I can trust and work hard with. Yeah. I amen mate. I'm I'm with you on that one. While we're on Sydney United, I I I've interviewed Arnie here and and a few other people and when you do this, the research and you sit down, I think Sydney United have produced over the journey or contributed to the development of around about 60 Socceroos. And I don't know how many coaches have come out of that, of a you know time through that club, but there's yourself, there's obviously Popper, there's Arnie. Arnie went through there. There's um, uh, Jednak, Driller. What, what's the magic at, at Sydney United that has helped develop so many wonderful footballers and so many great coaches? Is there some magic to it? It's, it's a culture, Coley. Yeah. It really is. It's a, it's a culture of producing good players. Sydney United's always played good football. Mm-hmm. Um, the community wanting to play for, for that club. Yeah. Um, mate, great, great people around the club. And, and this is, you know, the, the really thing is football's about the community, isn't it? Of course. So yeah. as a young kid, a lot of young Croatians, all they wanted to do was play for Sydney United. Mm. Obviously, they played for Sydney United and then they went on and done better things and bigger things. But yeah. the first goal was to play for that club because it was such a love for it. Yeah. And the amount of outsiders that played for Sydney United that were brought in like Croatians, yeah. um, we, we treated them all the same. It was, it was It's a special club. It still is a special club. It mm. produces very good footballers. Um, it's a culture. I, I can't put it any other way. It's a culture of football. And it's what's remarkable is it's just sustained. It seems to keep on keeping on doing the doing the same similar thing. So all power to you. Because you have good people running the club. You have football people running the club. Yeah. So winning winning a, a championship or having a, um, a finger in the pie winning a championship at Sydney United is great. What what do you think's been your most enjoyable moments as a as a coach? Um, I can't say losing all the grand finals were very enjoyable. <laughs> uh, look, uh, being the head coach for the first year at Sydney United to win the championship there, yeah, that, that was very satisfying. I, I got to admit it was, it was a satisfying year, but you know what we, I had, there was two very good years in Australia where, you know, I worked with Arnie one year and I worked with Popper the following year. And seriously, I had so much fun. I had so much fun working with these people. Um, yeah, I, I I can't explain it to you, Coley, but if you don't go to work every day happy and can't wait to get to work, then why bother going to work? Yeah. So, you know, working with good people is the key to to football. That that's it. And I may I would go anywhere with Popper yeah. because of the loyalty and the trust that we have between each other. Um, so yeah, I got to say, most satisfying is when I'm working with Popper. 
So uh, we've popper just been appointed. No, don't get any ideas, Foley. <laughs> hey, we wanted to break. We want to break it here first. Melbourne's really nice this time of the year. <laughs> I can show you some good coffee shops. <laughs> no, all right, we'll stay away with that. So then. What are the most valuable lessons you've learned in football? Be honest. Be straightforward. And uh, and be a good person. (laughs) Good on you. All right. Final question then for the day. One piece of wisdom that you could give to coaches that are beginning their journey, coaches that are on their journey, or coaches that are close to the end of the journey, What's one piece of wisdom that you would give to coaches? Be willing to adapt. Be open-minded. Be willing to adapt. Because football's played in all sorts of ways. There isn't, there isn't a right or a wrong way. Yeah. So you just have to adapt. And I think that's what good managers do. They pick a philosophy, they have an idea, and they adapt on, on the cattle that they have. Good on you, mate. I think that's a wonderful place uh, to leave it today. Um, really appreciate you coming on the show. I appreciate you getting up early. Um, missing your morning coffee to get to get front and centre in front of nah, the camera. No, I've, I've got my morning coffee here, guys. It's all good. <laughs> so we wish you well with your academy. And uh, if I bump into into Melbourne over the next month or so, I'll, uh, I'll catch up for coffee somewhere. It'll be good. Good on you, guys, mate. Keep up the good work, bud. <laughs> good on you, Zelko. Thanks very much. Cheers, mate. Thanks, Cheers, buddy. boys. Take care. You've been listening to the Football Coaching Life brought to you by Football Coaches Australia and Making Media, the podcast professionals. What a great chat was, Elko. Guarantee you're going to smile. You have a great day. Mm-hmm.